0: Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA Today on this Thursday, February 10th. It is a Thursday. That means today started with the release of the Consumer Price inflation data, the CPI gauge, was released this morning from the, uh, the government and, well, inflation continues to surge up 7.5% on an annual basis. Arlen Suderman will be joining me in segment three. We'll talk about that supply and demand report from USDA yesterday and what this inflation is going to mean for money flow in the markets. We're also going to talk to Dan Halstrom, CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. 2021 was a banner year for meat exports. Dan's got a little bit to celebrate. He'll be joining us in segment two. And at the end of the show today, we're going to talk with Mike Steenhook, director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. We continue to see improvements to transportation infrastructure in this country. But down in Brazil and Argentina, soy transportation's a concern. Mike will join us at the end of the show. But to start things off today, I wanted to focus on a story that was released on Monday. Day. USDA issued a statement announcing the launch of their partnerships for climate smart commodities. At that point, we just had a press release to go on, reached out to USDA, and today we're going to get the details on this program from USDA Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation, that's FPAC. Mr. Robert Bonney is joining us today. Undersecretary Bonney, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Thanks for having me, Mike let's talk about these partnerships for climate smart commodities this was a 1 billion dollar proposal issued on Monday tell us what are you hoping to do with these funds
1: well first let me take a step back and just talk about generally our you know our approach on uh, climate change and we're going to focus our efforts on voluntary uh, incentives we're going to look towards partnerships with agriculture and forestry we're going to try and use the best science but but the most important thing here is we want to build tools that will actually work for agriculture that folks can integrate into their uh, operations if they so choose, and and that was that was part of the thinking behind the release on Monday. What we've done is is we've created a pool of money that uh, groups of farmers, ranchers, or forest uh, landowners can seek, and that 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 money is really to do two things. One is uh, to to help them pay for the deployment of climate smart practices, soil health practices, um, p- practices to reduce methane emissions in livestock, practices to uh, to uh, reduce um, uh, nutrient runoff that, that causes nitrous oxide, and so anything that producers can do to improve. Uh, the climate are things that we want to um, help them help them pay for, and then secondly, we want to help pay for the cost of measurement monitoring uh, verifying those reductions and The idea here is to create is, is to allow producers to take advantage of of new markets, whether they be interested in markets for carbon or more broadly markets for climate smart commodities if there are um, you know um interest in uh, sustainably grown cotton or sustainably produced soybean or sustainably produced uh, beef we think this is an opportunity to help um, producers enter into those markets to to share uh, to, to you know share the cost to to look for new partnerships new innovation and we hope to create new markets that, that producers can can take advantage of and that will that will benefit their bottom line.
0: And I think as I read through the uh, the description of the partnership program here on Monday and looking back over today, it sounds as though there's – when I talk to growers and they look at this, they don't see a lot for them. The primary applicant for these programs must be an entity. It can't be an individual. So this won't be going for folks putting practices on their farm. It'll be more for that intermediary uh, – facility who's building new tools that farmers could use? Is that where you see this working out in the ecosystem?
1: No, they actually, the the idea here is to allow producers to work together in partnership with other producers. And it is targeted at the individual producers. If you think about the challenges that a farmer, rancher, forest landowner uh, faces when they think about these markets. They've you know they got to be able to measure. Those costs can be very high. They've got to have good technical assistance, information. And the idea is to reduce those costs by allowing producers to come together to share those across, uh, those across many producers. So for example, you could imagine a state commodity uh, organization coming forward with a group of producers that Seek to deploy certain types of, uh, of practices. Um, so th- the idea here, by allowing producers to come together, it actually allows more individuals to participate because it lowers the costs of them actually doing this. And so, you know, the idea here is is through this idea of creating partnerships that we can actually lower the barriers to individual producers coming forward. And part of our Uh, interest here is in making sure that the resources that we put out actually flow to the producers, that they actually benefit from this. And so one of the things we ask for in the proposals that will come forward is to make sure that the producers on the ground actually see benefits from this.
0: Okay, thank you for clarifying that. That makes it a lot more clear. This is a program you can reduce those costs associated with doing some of these more value added or intensely production, uh, intense production agriculture by spreading the cost around. I understand that. Let's talk about the application process. Is this open today? Uh, Can folks start applying or will this be rolled out here over the next several months?
1: Yeah, so we've got uh, we've we've got a, a notice of funding opportunity that went up on on uh, grants.gov and folks can can look at that. We've got access. We've got you know links to it to the USDA website, and we've re- we've got two tracks here. One track is for um, for larger projects that may come forward, and we've got a sixty-day application period. And again, our interest here is there are groups of producers that may come forward. Uh, with these projects um, and, uh, you know, as I say, 60-day application period for that. And then we've got a a, uh, for smaller projects that might be $5 million or under where maybe we've got smaller producers historically underserved or or, uh, other folks that need to take a little bit longer and we've got a longer um, uh, time period for those. I think those applications are due in late May.
0: Now, there has been a little bit of pushback that the funding for this program is coming from the CCC. Looking out to next year, do you anticipate this being rolled into the farm bill longer term? Well,
1: so this is a, this is a pilot program, and one of the reasons we call it a pilot is we actually want to learn from it. We want producers to learn from it, we want to do it in a transparent way, and we, we do hope that will inform the, um, the 23 farm bill. We're drawing on money from the Commodity Credit Corporation. And this, is a, this isn't a conservation program. This is a commodity program. And the CCC was designed in part to promote d- domestic consumption of agricultural products by expanding markets, by creating new markets. That's what we're doing here. What we're doing is, is we're helping producers take advantage of these em- emerging consumer interest, em- emerging market interest in sustainably bro- produced commodities. We think the CCC is a really good match for that.
0: Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on, folks. We've been talking to USDA Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation, Robert Bonney. Thanks. I appreciate it, Mr. Bonney. Thanks for having me. And, folks, when we return, Dan Halstrom of the USMEF will be joining us talking about the reasons to celebrate in the meat industry. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America don't go away more AOA coming right up when you choose the roundup ready extend crop system you're choosing exceptional weed control
2: it controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small seeded broadleaf weeds plus you get triple tolerance to dicamba glyphosate and glufosinate when used with extend flex soybeans The Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the
0: system of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices.
3: They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
0: Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
4: Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTMPF.com today.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for tuning in today, ladies and gentlemen. Throughout 2021, one of the ongoing themes on a monthly basis was the report of meat exports. And it seemed like almost each month there was a new record to be announced. Well, as we roll into February, we've now got all the data from 2021 and it was a doozy u.s meat export federation president and ceo dan Halstrom joins me today to run through the numbers dan there's a lot to celebrate in the meat export business in 2022 isn't there
6: there sure is mike and thank you for having me on uh yes uh, we ended up the year uh, uh with a easily a new record on the beef side as we anticipated uh we were up 15 percent over last year but we were over seven percent up from the 2018 record in volume but the real story is the value. We're at almost 10.6 billion in sales. Uh, this is 2 billion above the 2018 record. So uh, and, and as I've, you and I have been talking now for several months, the real story here is the broad bakes growth across quite a few different countries, uh, free at uh, Japan, China, Hong Kong. You also have some Latin American countries like uh, Central America and Colombia, for example. So yeah, that, it's really exciting on the beef side, the broad-based uh, growth
0: it is and you know you talk about that value the the amount of impact the rising price of beef has had on uh, on these total numbers is staggering December I noticed in your report Dan you said total exports tonnage wise were up one percent total value in December was up 33 percent. so we're finding international buyers who are paying a premium it sounds like for U.S. beef
6: yeah they, they really are um, the, the price. Uh they're following the market and there's at, at, at least at the moment uh, no sign of that backing off so uh and once again I think one of the keys here is we're not reliant on any one market of course China percentage wise is probably the story uh, we're more than triple the volumes from a year ago but that's starting from a low base but when you look at some of the larger markets Korea and Japan are two largest markets uh Uh, considerable growth there and in uh, a lot of these uh, smaller regions as well. So, uh, yeah, we're at $407 ahead for the year. Uh, But the last few months of 2021, we were upwards of $480 ahead for beef exports. So it's quite a good story.
0: It certainly is. Dan, how did we do with our two closest trading partners, Mexico and Canada? Here we've got USMCA in effect. Did we see exports rising to either of those two countries?
6: Uh, on the uh, pork side, yes. Uh, on the beef side, it was uh, up slightly. On, uh, on Mexico, up 4%, I believe it was. And on Canada, uh, it was just down a couple of percent. But, uh, but that being said, that's a little misleading because early in the year, uh, we were down quite a bit. So the last part of 2021, uh, we really saw the momentum pick up with the, uh, with the USMCA uh, countries.
0: All right. But you mentioned that pork exports to Mexico, another staggering year on the pork side.
6: It really was. Uh, Keep in mind, last year, 2020, uh, we had a record year was up a record. You know, I forget the exact amount, but it was uh, well over 10 percent growth. And that was being led by China because they had the ASF issues in China. Uh, most predominantly in 2020. In 2021, it was a year year of uh, attempting to rebuild the herd in China, which they did do to some extent, but uh uh, so we knew that exports would be down in China, and they were. They were down 29% for the year, but still, even down 29%, that's off of a record of a million metric tons in 2020. So even if we're 720,000 tons uh, 2021, it's the second largest year by far ever for pork exports. Still, still a very important market. But the real story there is the broad-based growth in the rest of the world, uh, led by Latin America, Mexico, Central America, South America, especially Colombia, almost offset that downturn in China. So once again, the fact that we have many markets contributing and, and diversifying our portfolio, so to speak, is a really good place to be.
0: Dan, as you look out to this next year, China allegedly has been rebuilding their hog herd. Do you anticipate their U.S. hog purchases or pork purchases to continue to decline this year?
6: We, we do have uh, we do have them declining, but maybe not by as much as some people might think. Uh, uh, we have it down between five and ten percent, but in that if that is the case, it's still the third largest year ever uh, for exports of pork but uh, I really it's the, it's the real wild card. Nobody knows exactly where China's going to come in at. Uh, I do know this though that our reliance on china the U.S.'s reliance on china. Uh, is much less than some of our major competitors. Uh, You know, the China market makes up about uh, 30% of the pork exports for the U.S., but that number is considerably higher for a market, the largest supplier into China, which is the EU, and they're they're over 60% reliant on China. So from a a market positioning standpoint, I really like where the U.S. is positioned uh, vis-a-vis some of our global competition
0: absolutely and to be in the right hemisphere for some of our growing markets you mentioned central america latin america as you look at the trends developing in these countries do you think they're going to be buyers of u.s pork for the foreseeable future
6: i think without a doubt um you know we are We are looking at records uh, in the last several years in both Central America and South America. And, and of course, the rebound has been phenomenal in Mexico as well, which is more of a COVID-related issue. But, yeah, what you're seeing in these regions is an emerging middle class, uh, expanding middle class. um, And we always know what happens when there's more spending power, demand for higher quality, more consistent, safe uh, Great tasting products, uh, both beef and pork, um, and I think some of the um, some of the trends that we're seeing in Asia, we're starting to see in in Latin America as well. And one is the online platforms, the e-commerce platforms that demand for convenience, um, high quality products, but very convenient, where you could order order a product and have it delivered to your home uh, later that evening for dinner. Uh, this this sort of phenomenon. It's relatively new for Latin America. Pre-COVID, we didn't see it much in Latin America. We saw it a lot in Asia pre-COVID. But in Latin America, this this particular trend is really starting to come up to the forefront. And uh, I I think it's only gonna increase. And this is a good thing because uh, um, the internet usage, the the demand for convenience, uh, for the most part, um, price is not the first thing on people's mind. Um, you know, so they're willing to pay for quality. So these are, these are some trends that I think our industry is already capitalizing upon and we can capitalize upon it even more in the future.
0: Yeah. And capitalizing on it puts dollars in our pocket. Dan, you mentioned exports added 407 value to, uh, to every head of livestock or of, of beef processed. What did you see on a per head basis in the, uh, the pork export valuation increase to, uh, hog slaughtered?
6: Yeah, we uh, we came in for the year on an average of six, just under $63 per head. That's up 7% from a year ago. And uh, once again, I think it's indicative of the fact that uh, uh, the price The increases in prices, uh, at least so far, are, are, are being absorbed and, and passed along to these buyers. It's always our goal in these buyers to create 52-week-a-year business, and I think, I think we're starting to see more and more of that program business uh, happen, both on the beef and, and pork side. So we're really, uh, really excited uh, about that.
0: Yeah. Dan, I know you guys also track lamb exports. Big value increase in lamb exports in 2021 too. It looks like.
6: Yeah, yeah. Lamb came in pretty well to the year. We're up nine percent on volume, but we're up 19 percent on value. Of course, the two main uh, leading regions for lamb in the U.S. are the Mexico and uh, and the Caribbean region. Um, you know, lamb's interesting. I think we have a real opportunity here on lamb because. Uh, Let's be honest, uh, LAM is particularly dependent upon food service and, uh, and we all know what's happened to the food service business uh, in 2020 and, and we're starting to see a rebound in Latin America in 2021 but I think even more so we can expect uh, increased demand of that food service and tourism sector which should benefit LAM as we go into 20, further into 2022.
0: Dan, you guys at the Meat Export Federation are tracking these numbers on a monthly and an annual basis. If any of our listeners really want to dig into the details and see how all of this works out, where can they find this research and this this data that you've been compiling?
6: Yeah, you can find it on our website at www.usmef.org or always can contact us directly and we're more than happy to share it. Uh, you know, we're, we're pretty optimistic as we look forward to 2022. Um, although maybe a little less uh, momentum on the growth. You know, the beef, we're predicting a new record for 2022, but the rate of growth, we believe, will slow down a little bit. But uh, still very optimistic on beef and pork as well. Uh, we're, we should be near last year's numbers, we feel, on pork. So uh, I think it's looking pretty good going forward.
0: It's nice to have something to be excited about in the world of agriculture. That's uh, U.S. MEF President and CEO Dan Halstrom. Thanks for joining us today.
6: My pleasure.
0: Thank you. And when we return, Arlen Suderman with a breakdown of the ag market. Stay with me on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at do I Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.
2: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, to court it, especially the soybean markets continue to stretch to new highs as the market responds to South America's dry weather concerns. With the weather forecast not showing much of an opportunity for rain, it's likely that the contracts could keep this type of heightened energy through the week's end. Brazil's agricultural economics firm, CONAB revised their estimate of Brazilian soybean production from their January estimate by a massive 15 million metric tons dropping production to just 125.5 million metric tons all the way down from 140.5 last month. The production number is a huge 8.5 million metric tons below that of Wednesday's WASDI projection of 134 million metric tons from USDA. Now, the news drove both old and new crop soy futures to even higher highs, setting new contract highs here in March and November. We continue to see good strength throughout the soybean and soybean meal complex, and that's helping to pull quarter wheat higher as well, as we also watch the continued geopolitical risks in the Black Sea region with Russia and Ukraine. That continues to be a factor as well. Right now, March soybeans up 32 and a half, 1627 at a quarter, July up 33 and three quarters at 1624, March bean meal up 1190 a ton, 473.80. March bean oil up 147 points at 6557. March court up 13.5 at 660 at a quarter. July court up 12.5, 6.53. March Chicago wheat up 13 at a quarter, 798 a quarter. March Kansas City wheat up 12.5, 827.5. March Spring wheat up 22 and a quarter at 976. Live cattle for February 40 higher right now, 143.30. April up 62, 148.45. March feeder kettle up 35, 168.62. April lean hogs 187 higher right now, 106.65. Crude oil up $1.63 at 91.29. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen.
7: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease.
0: Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The grain markets are off like a rocket today. To help explain it, Arlen Suderman of Stonex joins me. Arlen, how are you doing today?
8: doing well Mike it's good to be back with you
0: well it's good to be talking especially on a day like today Arlen, we saw the USDA release their supply and demand estimates a lot of eyes were on that soybean report what were the changes that USDA made in their uh, report yesterday
8: well I think the big change was the reduction of the uh, soybean production estimate out of Brazil Um, they didn't go as far as what some of the private estimates were, certainly not as far as what our estimate was, and certainly not as far as what Brazil's version of USDA CONAB did this morning in their report. Uh, USDA pegged the soybean production crop at 134 million metric tons, down 5 million metric tons from the previous month, down 5 million metric tons from the month before that. So they're making these 5 million metric ton incremental moves. However, It looks like the crop is much smaller than that. And in fact, our estimate last week, which is based on a production survey, came out at 126.5 million metric tons. And CONAB this morning came out at 125.5 million metric tons. So if those lower production estimates verify in the weeks ahead, that is a total game changer for the global soybean balance sheet. Suddenly, South America runs out of exportable supplies this summer, meaning the rest of the world needs to come back to the United States to get its soybeans in the last part of this summer, maybe even as early as, as May or June in order to get greater supplies. And that dramatically tightens up our balance sheet and it implies that we need to plant at least 90 million acres of soybeans in this coming growing season up about $3 from this previous year, and that's assuming we have normal weather this summer. So there is a lot at stake now. We're seeing China start to step up to the plate and get caught up in the fear that, oh no, Brazil may be short of soybeans. They're starting to buy up. Other customers are starting to buy. End users are getting pretty nervous right now.
0: They are. And Arlen, as you think about that 90 million plus uh, soybean acres required is the November price right now at a little north of 1460. Is that enough to pull those acres into production?
8: Well, the market is saying it's nervous that it's not, and it's fearful of how much more this production may go down, how many more acres we may need, because we're still early in the Argentine so, uh, growing season. Its crop ratings have been plummeting over the last couple of months, and uh, to give you an idea of where we're at relative to the U.S. Midwest, it's, it's like the first of August in the Midwest, currently in Argentina. So they've had sharply lower crop ratings. They've been under severe drought conditions for much of the growing season, with the exception of last half of January when they got a reprieve. But the forecast models are saying they're going to go back to that hot, dry type of conditions over the next six weeks or so so if their production estimates drop significantly that even tightens things up even more so there's a tremendous amount at stake here for end users once again as i say meaning we may need even more acres going forward You know, we still got to verify these lower production estimates with a combine. And estimating soybean yields is tricky. That's why the major crop tours in the Midwest each summer don't report yields for soybeans. They report pod counts. So anything is possible going forward. But there's enough evidence starting to mount up of a severely shortened crop in South America due to the heat and drought that uh, it has the market on edge and very scared right now.
0: And Arlen, as you look at the other ag commodities, everything is kind of on a roll here this Thursday. Corn up 10, 12 cents here in most contracts. Is this just spillover support coming from the the move of money into beans?
8: Some of it spill over because corn has to defend its acreage. We need to make sure we have enough acreage. Some of it spill over because, well, if the weather's been bad enough to hurt soybeans this this much, how what might it be doing to corn production down there? And that's another story as well, let alone the fact of with reduced fertilizer. But we also know from our sources in the cash market that china is actively buying corn right now we did not expect them to be back in the market buying more corn in fact they have a lot of corn they bought a year ago they still haven't taken delivery over but it appears they're starting to get worried about a short corn crop in the world this year they're trying to buy up supplies i don't know how long it's going to take for USDA to confirm it for example a year ago they made a a large purchase announcement at the end of january of what they had purchased, but they had been working on that purchase and and acquiring those supplies for several months. So until they line up the freight, then um, they don't have to announce it to USDA, and therefore USDA released that confirmation. But we do know that they're actively buying significant quantities of corn, and that's what also has the corn market excited here.
0: How has the export the physical export market been over the past few weeks, Arlen? We getting supplies moved off our shores.
8: Well the soybean market is starting to heat up again. We had an early end to the soybean season because Brazil had an early start to their harvest, so China and other customers had shifted to the cheaper supplies in South America. But with the tighter crop in in South America, farmers there have quit selling and so what is available now is being fought over by exporters and and crushers there in Brazil and so their basis has dr- jumped dramatically and now f- we're competitive with them for the March-April time period, and for May loadings of soybeans, May and June loadings of soybeans, U.S. Gulf soybeans are cheaper than Brazil. That's almost unheard of for this time of year, just indicating how tight things are there. If you look at export sales here in the United States, the weekly report that came out this morning, the weekly sales total, mostly China and unknown destinations believed to be China, was twice the normal pace for this time of year. On the other hand, corn sales were about half the pace that we would normally see this time of year. Now, we still have a lot of corn on the books yet, as I said, from China from a year ago, and they are starting to take shipment of that, and that is starting to step up, and and so we're improving on the shipment side, uh, but we're really lagging on the new sales. We're anticipating that that will start increasing uh, as some of these Chinese sales and some of the other business starts getting reported later in the spring.
0: Well, over on the wheat side of the Chicago Board of Trade, we've got most of the Chicago contracts up over eight or really darn close as of uh, today. Arlen, is this money movement in the wheat result of the USDA report yesterday or is this more inflation play and money moving around the system?
8: It's a lot of money moving around the system. And, of course, the higher corn prices go, the more that increases the risk that we're going to be feeding more wheat, not just here in the in the U.S. feedlot district, but also overseas. We're watching the Asian markets as well where we think they're going to start feeding more wheat. So that becomes a factor as well. We still have the geopolitical risk between Russia and Ukraine, and the next two weeks look critical for that as well. So there's some risk factor being built in. But then when you see inflation data released like what was released this morning um, at 40-year highs, the highest since February of 1982, and I remember that well. Um, that tends to put more money into the into the food-based commodities as well as the energy-based commodities because those commodities tend to rise with inflation over time, and so it acts as a hedge for the investor portfolios. So that's why we're seeing, with that inflation data, money rotating out of the equities once again and into the food and energy commodities. And that's kind of amplifying the move that's happening because of the fundamental factors that we've already mentioned.
0: Arlen, looking over at the livestock side, we've got live cattle contracts, most of them here over $140. bucks. we are moving, I think cattle feeders would say, in the right direction. Do you see more strength here in the cattle markets ahead?
8: Well, we've seen some encouraging fundamental support there. Um, The cash market this week, we've seen some 140 cash cattle move now in the Southern Plains feedlot district, and and that has been supportive of the market. We're anticipating seeing some lighter numbers available now in this cattle market, and and, and that comes off of the the more bullish cattle inventory report, which is more of a bullish long-term story as well. Consumer demand has been good. Export demand has been good. So we're seeing pretty solid demand overall. We have to watch that consumer sentiment, though, have to watch the equity markets with the equity markets take a big dive that can affect consumer buying of the higher cuts of meat. But so far, there's enough stimulus still in the economy that the consumer still has the money and may be complaining about the higher prices, but continues to pay it.
0: That's a really good point, Arlen. When that stock market slows down, you see consumers typically switch from beef to pork, but with pork prices being where they are. Arlen, is there more room to run here in the lean hog markets?
8: Yeah, the demand is solid. We're seeing the export demand really start to scale back, and USDA cut it back some more yesterday as China weans itself off of imported pork amid adequate supplies at home right now. But the domestic demand has stayed solid, but the supply has also been disappointing. Over the last year, and it continues today, we're just not seeing the hogs come to the processing plants that USDA says are there. Maybe that's statistical error. Maybe that's lingering disease issues in the herd. um, Probably a combination of both, but the numbers simply aren't there. So the cash market continues to push higher, and the board anticipating that continues to lead that cash
0: higher. Do you have any indication as to when this thing might encounter some resistance here? Any price levels that you're really watching, Arlen?
8: Right now, I think it's more of a factor how long we continue with inflation, the shortage of commodities, the hyper-elevated demand that we see because of all the stimulus that's in, not only our economy, but the major economies of the world that keeps demand elevated and just production not able to keep up with it, Um, once we see some of that stimulus start to be withdrawn or see some real challenges to the U.S. and global economy, that's going to start slowing down that demand, and that'll be our first sign of decreasing uh, demand
0: for our commodity. All right. We'll keep an eye on. We'll be back with AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
2: When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're choosing exceptional weed control. It controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small-seeded broadleaf weeds. Plus, you get triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate when used with flex soybeans. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system,
0: the system of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices.
3: They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Oh,
0: nice. Engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen?
5: Check, check, and check.
0: Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with Hemis.
1: So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and
8: this radio station.
4: Within 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at DTNPF com backslash field posts
0: you're listening to AOA agriculture of America this is Mike Pearson and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world information farmers and ranchers need to know AOA now back to Mike Pearson you know, folks, we were talking to Arlen Suderman of Stone X there in the third segment, and there is always so much to think about after Arlen comes on the show. But he mentioned the strength of the soy export market. USDA reported export sales earlier today. Soybeans, physical exports this past week, were 1.3 million metric tons. And uh, that's down a little bit from the previous week, down a little bit from the four-week average. I wanted to get the update on how soy transportation looks, and to do that... We're going to talk to Mike Steenhook, the director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, as I think about exports, I think back to, gosh, Hurricane Ida through the Gulf Coast. Have most of the export facilities down there on the Mississippi been able to get back up and running by now?
9: Yeah, most of them have. The the biggest uh, challenge in the aftermath of Hurricane Ida was power was was wiped out to a wide swath of the area. And so a number of these export facilities... um, as well as some of the the fertilizer facilities and uh, other inputs down in the area really struggled with power and getting that restored. And so over the next month, uh, six weeks. It it eventually did get uh, restored. Uh, Hurricane Ida arrived in late August of last year, um, but there is one facility, uh, one of the Cargill facilities down there. Cargill has a couple export terminals that still is recovering from it because it did sustain some structural damage to their loading infrastructure, and that's something they're still they're still working on. So, yeah, overall, uh, it is it has recovered, but um, but you, obviously you want. You want that key area of the country that accounts for 60% of soybean exports, 59% of corn exports to be operating on all cylinders.
0: Yeah, and it's tough to find any place in the supply chain that's running on all cylinders. Mike, as you talk to folks throughout the soybean value chain, where are you hearing transportation problems right now in 2022?
9: Well, one of the most uh, visible challenges is the whole question of container Accessibility, and you see these images of these large ocean vessels with thousands of containers stacked on it, and they're waiting for a a, a berth to unload that that cargo. Uh, that cargo ha- is contains um, inputs and consumer goods uh, that Americans are purchasing. But then there's an opportunity once those are unloaded to fill it up with soybeans or other agricultural products for the backhaul movement to Asia, and that overall system is just really suffocating on itself. It is it is overly subscribed and so for those exporters who want to get containers to you know, serve some of their international customers. That's a real challenge. But you know, you hear throughout the whole supply chain uh, a number of challenges, and it really hits on each of the modes of transportation. And one thing that it is very common across is a scarcity of labor. You know, it's one thing to have a truck; you need to have a truck driver. It's one thing to have a barge; you need to have the crew to service that that delivery. And these transportation companies, these, these industries, are increasingly having to compete against other industries that also are, are short-needed uh, labor, like construction, like retail, like distribution, all of those other industries – that don't require you to be away from home for an extended period of time like transportation does. So being able to get labor and workers is a real challenge, particularly those companies that are are located in rural
0: areas. Yeah, I hear that struggle for labor from nearly every person I talk to right now. While I've got you, Mike, I want to talk about South America. You know, we've been discussing the drought that's impacting the production of soybeans down there. But of course, it's also impacting the transportation of beans and bean meal. Do you keep track of what's going on in South America?
9: yeah you know it's particularly acute uh, in Argentina, and you know one of the one of the, the competitive advantages that Argentina has is they have a, a big part of their production is located in close proximity to their to their port region where they're able to load onto a, a barge or even onto an ocean vessel well when they when they experience drought conditions the the water depth at that area uh, will plummet, and that's what's indeed happened and it's it's in, for an extended period of time so it impacts their ability to load vessels to, the, to its fullest extent so they're really having to light load vessels and that just that really harms the economics of your export program. You want to be able to take a vessel and load it as full as you can to be able to, ha- to, be able to compete against other countries and they're having a real struggle with that right now.
0: And it sounds like that's going to persist. We we're talking to Ed Valley on the show yesterday. There's not a lot of rain in the forecast, Mike. I also wanted to ask you. It seems every spring in Brazil, we hear talks of a trucker strike as they get ready to move their crops to the ports. Is that is that still a threat here in 2022?
9: Well, there, there's always rumblings uh, for that. Uh, I, I haven't seen anything announced or coordinated as of yet, but there. But that's something that. Um, is one of the real struggles with with Brazil um, is that lack of predictability of the supply chain, and sometimes that can be you know human induced, uh, without taking a side on you know the trucker side or the the government side, whatever the dispute may be. But that's something that really affects uh, their reliability and their and their reputation on the international market. Uh, is that being able to get a product from point A to point B as predicted. As expected, and you know, truck driver strikes can certainly um,
0: inhibit that uh, down in Brazil. They certainly can, Mike. Before we let you go, this Ocean Shipping Reform Act that's been introduced—I understand now—we've got one in the House and one in the Senate. Is that going to do much for bulk commodity shipping globally?
9: Well, it, you know, we we commend our elected officials to try to uh, try to address it. There's there's certain aspects of the legislation that I do think have some merit, but I, I do think it's really important to keep in mind that this is something that is impacting every link in our supply chain, there's a lot of causes of this, and you know, we just simply have a transportation system that's overly subscribed. So uh, it's a very complex issue, um, and it's something that certainly is we're gonna continue to be engaged in, but there really is unfortunately no silver bullet. We wish there was, but there, there unfortunately is no silver, silver bullet to this.
0: Well, that is the challenge. We're just going to have to continue to muddle our way through it. Mike Steenhook, director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, appreciate you taking the time to help us make sense of it. Thank you, Mike. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk about the volatility in the crude oil market with Dr. Ellen Wald and some changes to the Cattlemen's Beef Board. Thanks for listening to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety
8: is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.
10: Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx.